Our first reading is the Old Testament reading, and it is Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 5, and you can find that on page 488 in the Pew Bible. Job is humbled and satisfied. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Our New Testament reading comes from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that were not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with the faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architects and builders is God. By faith he received power of procreation, and even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven, and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises But from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have gathered us here today, that it is out of a desire to be in your presence, a desire to hear you speak to us, that we have gathered in your name, singing praises to what you have done and giving thanks to you. And now we sit asking that we might be attuned to your spirit so that our hearts might be attuned to your desires and plans for us so that we might be transformed in your presence and that wherever we may go, the world may be transformed through you in us. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Over the years when I've worked with youth, there's often been a couple of questions, a couple of challenges that they had that always stood out. Now, the one had to do with prayer. There was always every year at least one kid, if not more than one, or the same kid year over year, who when it came time to lift up prayer requests, things that were on their minds and on their hearts, things that they were dealing with, felt that their prayer requests were not big enough, not important enough to bother God with. And that took a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of time with them to say that God cares about what you're going through and that God is indeed not too busy. The other problem that they often wrestled with is this idea of questioning God, of being in questions to the Bible, of saying, is this right? Am I understanding this right? What do I do with it? This idea that we can't be angry with God because of what he's done or what we're going through and that he can't handle all of these emotions and questions that we have. Now, I'd be willing to bet that at least somewhere in this room right now, there is someone who has wrestled with these, either of these two questions or even are indeed wrestling them with them, if, with them right now. Today we're talking about this, uh, this bumper sticker slogan, this, this saying that, we, uh, that often gets thrown around, and I'm going to give two versions of it, at least how I group them together. The official name is, don't put a question mark where God has placed a period. Another way of saying it, at least the way I'm approaching it today, is the Bible, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast, and I think I talked to a couple of you about this last week because it was interesting to me. There's this website you can go to, and you can interact with this website that's driven by AI. And if you don't know what AI is, it's where they, uh, it's basically computer learning where you put in information and sources and, and papers and sermons and all of these different things, the Bible itself, and it creates connections between them, and it learns about connections that other people have made in all of these sources, and that gets reinforced, similar to how our brain works and learns. New connections are made, and if they pan out and lead somewhere uh, fulfilling, then that connection builds up, gets stronger, so it's more likely to happen again. Well, there was this website where you can go in and you can interact with biblical characters and ask them questions, and they will answer as if it is who you're talking to. You can go in and say, I, I want to ask Paul, what does the Bible say about? Now the problem with this, there's a couple of problems with this. There's a whole host of problems with this website, but <laughs> I'm only going to mention a, a couple. One of the problems is you, for any AI learning, and I know this has been in the news and it's kind of taken over the world by storm and you may have questions about it in general, but it's only as good as the information that goes in. 
So yes, they put in the Bible, but then they also put in sermons and papers and various websites and blog posts, and they all tend to, they all are, tend to be based off of middle-aged white evangelical men. And so that's going to shape the response that Paul is giving in this website. That's the first problem. It's lacking diversity. The bigger problem, or at least a competitive problem, is it reduces the Bible as if you can get the info, if you can just get the right information in, you'll get the right answer out. Let me rephrase. If, uh, and this has been the case for uh, as long as there's been computers and various other technologies, that if we could just get the Bible in there, then we can ask questions and we'll get the answers out, that it's all contained within the Bible, and that's all we need. So if we get the right information, we ask the right question, then we get the definitive answer. The Bible is radically different than that. Reading it, studying it, getting thing, getting, encountering the Spirit of God within it. We do that uh, through uh, inquiring and asking the, the, the Scripture what it's trying to say and what it's meaning. We do that in asking each other questions about what does this passage mean and, and what is it saying and how do I apply it? It's not about putting the right information in and getting the answer, get, asking the right question and getting it out. It's wrestling with the Scripture. It's, it's spending time with it, getting in depth, taking it so seriously that you can't take it and, and say this is what it means. Likewise, in my sermons, I don't believe that if I stood up here and I gave you and uh, read from the scripture and gave you the right information, then all of you would be able to go out into the world and do the right thing. That it's just an information problem. I know that's not the case for me. Sometimes the more I read and the more I study scripture, oftentimes the more questions I have about God, who God is, what God is saying, what God wants me to do. When we take the scripture seriously, it often raises questions. When we read a passage that involves uh, God commanding the people of Israel to, to put babies' heads on spikes and to, and to commit genocide, that should raise some questions. That should make us stand back and say, wait a minute. It should certainly not say that we should go and do likewise. That's usually my, my go-to line when Rebecca says, oh, what's the sermon on this week? I usually give a pithy one-sentence thing, and then I say, go and do likewise, and it's usually complete nonsense. Because I don't want to ruin it for her. She has to sit through these week to week anyway. I feel bad for the first time, let alone multiple times leading up to it. What I'm trying to say is that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to read the scripture and, and take it seriously enough to say, you know, this doesn't make sense to me. I need to spend more time with it. Maybe what is described in this passage is not what God wants me to do now. And when we touch on topics like that, we look at translations. We look at uh, translations from original languages. We look at biblical translations from King James to NRSV and everything in between. And they all have a slightly different spin. The scriptures, if we take it seriously enough, we can't just say the Bible says it, or God says it, meaning in the Bible, I believe it, and that settles it. We as a community wrestle with it. We as a community are challenged by it, but we also ask God to send his spirit to us so that we might be uh, receive it, study it well. 
This is why small groups are so important. This is why uh, gathering together with other Christians to wrestle with these questions and these big questions of faith matter so much. How much I wish that we could just say, uh, ask a question and find the verse that goes with it and say, well, that's the definitive answer. So much easier. It'd be a, a lot easier to have a really strong conviction. It'd be really easy to then say, this, if you believe this, you're in, and if you don't believe this, you're out. Now, don't get me wrong. There are churches out there, there are worshiping bodies out there that say that. There are pastors out there that, when they're preaching on a particular passage, say, this is what God says. And this is how you need to interpret and apply this passage. And I understand why they do that. I also understand I'm not that kind of preacher. It's not how I understand scripture. It's not how I understand my role here of what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is give you the tools that you need, the, the, the skills, the, the encounters of the spirit, the divine spirit, all of that through worship and through the sermon and everything so that you have what you need and you have that permission to ask those questions, to dive deeper. Uh, to know what parts of the Bible, the, the, what parts of the Bible are, are written from uh, an attempt at a historical perspective, and which ones are more allegorical, and which ones are, 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 are bigger than that, and even more confusing than that. So that when you wrestle with the scripture on your own, when you have questions, when you try to find the answers, or when you want to come to me and ask questions, Where I'm coming from, and you have something to lean on. Now, a lot of people aren't comfortable with that kind of ambiguity, and I understand that. But I will say that if we can be a body of believers, and if we're not there yet, we may be there, I'm not sure. But if we can be a body of believers that functions in a particular way where questions are welcome, where, uh, where, where deep uh, troubles can be explored where people feel comfortable to say, you know, I have doubts about this. I just don't believe it yet, or I'm not there, or I read it in a different way. If this can be a body where people are not locked in step saying, we have to believe these things in this particular way in order to belong, then there is a world of people that are asking questions. We often think the world has rejected uh, faith, that the world has rejected God, that it's moved on and there's only a faithful remnant who are even open to be talking about God and matters of faith. But I contend there are only, there's a smaller subset are, that are currently willing to come to church. That is very much true. But there's this large group of people that are trying to make sense of the world, trying to find hope and meaning, trying to understand who we are and why we're here. And they're asking deep questions. Why, why is my loved one sick? Why are there fires burning an entire island in Hawaii with 60, it's 60 people roughly now who are dead? In fact, I think it's around 55. Why is that the case? Why around the world are there people starving to death? Why are there children who lack medical care? Why is there a shooting next door? 
Why is there so much racial tension? Why can't we get along? They're asking big questions. Most of them aren't looking for a pat answer. They're looking for a place where they can ask those questions safely, explore the answer. Thoughts from somebody else who's asking the same question. And so, one of my dreams for us here at Berwyn, and you might ask why we set up the tables out there and put them in the narthex, and why I put them kind of closer to the center aisle, and why we didn't just use the, the parlor to set up the coffee maker and, and sit. be perfectly honest, I want conversation to happen around those tables. I want people to check in. I want people to share prayer requests with one another. I want people to build relationships, but I also, I dream, and maybe this is too big of a dream, maybe it's unrealistic. I dream that every once in a while around one of those tables, a conversation will happen around what in the world I just preached about on Sunday morning. Perhaps it's, I hated that, and I disagree with everything he said, and this is what I think he should have said. I'm okay with that conversation. I hope it doesn't happen, but I'm okay with it. And realistically, it might. What I hope it's not is, that was so confusing, and I didn't get anything out of it, and I really, he really needed to land the plane 20 minutes ago. That's another realistic conversation. But every once in a while, once in a while, I hope a couple people around one of those tables get together. You know, I kind of heard God speaking to me in that passage. Really felt that that touched my heart in some way. Not sure how to, what it means, and I'm not sure what to do with it yet. What do you think? And I hope that that person with them says, you know, I heard that too. This is what I think I need to do with it. What do you think about that? And somehow, around those little black tables with a cup of coffee in your hand, or a cup of tea or a cup of water, you've wrestled with the questions that arise. You're wrestling with the questions of faith. Because there's one thing I absolutely want to be perfectly clear about. Is that we are not saved by having the right checklist of things crossed out and believing in a particular way. We are not saved by saying we believe this, 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 and this. Our stance on race relations, human sexuality, Christ, and how he saved us on the cross. We are not saved by having the core set of things that we believe this way about any of those questions that arise. We are saved through Christ. He is the one on the judgment throne. He is the one making the decisions of who is in and who is out. And all he asks of us is that we might show faith. That we might seek after him. That in encountering him and choosing to make him the focus of our attention, of our goals, and our life, we will become more like him. And so if you have ever had a doubt of whether or not you're going to make it into heaven, 
Because maybe you've got something wrong. Maybe you came on a different position than somebody else you know. And maybe they even told you. This happens on Twitter way too much, or whatever it's called now, X, I, anyway. Probably the wrong audience to go down that rabbit hole. But it happens so much that if you believe this, then you're apostate. You're not a Christian. But none of those conditions that we try to place or other people try to place on what it means to be a Christian have any sway on the decision that Christ himself makes. And we serve a generous God, welcoming and loving God. One who willingly died on the cross for our sake while we were yet sinners, long before we could justify it, long before we could earn it, long before we could do anything to prove that we are worthy. He died for us, rose again. And in that we have our faith. In that we trust for our salvation. Everything else, everything else does not hold you. When we can trust in that and hold on to that, even in the midst of our doubts, I mean, Job lost absolutely everything, his wife, his kids, his health. His friends told him that you must have done something wrong to deserve it. You must have done something to make God angry. And Job says, no, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything. I don't deserve this. And he's asking questions. And now the answer that God gives, it's right before today's passage. It's a little less understanding than I'd prefer God to be. Because he essentially tells Job, who are you to ask me? I'm the maker of the heavens. I'm the maker of everything. I'm, I'm the arbiter of all of these things. Why do you keep bothering me with these questions? But even in that answer, Job responds with an understanding that he can ask questions and God will answer. The lamentations, an entire book of people, a person going through suffering and asking God why and how long must they suffer. People wrestling with the faith. We talked in the Hebrews passage today, and it, and it and kind of gives this uh, patent, uh, a brief understanding of, of the heroes of the faith, of Noah, of Abraham, of, uh, of Isaac and Jacob, and saying by faith they were able to do these things. But if you go back and read those stories, you see that they wrestled with things. You see that Abraham doubted when he was promised that he would have a son. You saw Sarah laugh at the possibility that she would be pregnant at her old, in her old age. You see those doubts. You see those struggles. You see those questions that they asked when you go back to the original stories. And so reading these, uh, the, the descriptions and the summary of Hebrews makes it sound like they just walked in faith and it was a straight line from here to there and they never doubted or wavered. But the people that we celebrate, the people that we lift up in the scriptures, ask the question, wrestled with the doubts. But the thing that held them in, and my prayer for you today is the thing that holds you, is that in asking the question, you are already demonstrating a faith and a desire to know the answer. If you've already rejected God, if you've already rejected the existence of God, if you've already done away with faith entirely, there's no need to ask questions of faith. There's no need to spend any time wrestling with God. And so I would argue and I would press upon you that even in asking questions, 
impressive. You are showing a faith in God that will carry you. But if you're alone in asking those questions, if you're not with someone else, with a group of people, not doing that in community, questions, you may never come to an answer. You may never come to that point where you feel like you can move forward. That's why we worship. That's why we study together. That's why we meet around coffee tables talk with one another. We pray together and lift one another up. We share each other's burdens. We celebrate what God has done and we ask questions of why God is doing or why whatever is happening is happening. I can guarantee that if we become a place where that is not only tolerated but welcomed and celebrated, experienced on a regular basis, there's a whole world of people looking. Can we be that place if we're not there yet? What would it look like? So as around the tables, when we leave the worship today, there's the questions. If you want to have a question to talk about in the little groups around the table or in the parlor, it's still open to use, or the little chairs, that, armchairs that we brought out if, it's, if you have to sit because you can't stand around the table, that's fine. Find somebody else, find a group of people, and wrestle with those questions. Are we a place where people can bring their questions down? Are we a place where conversations happen to lead to a different place? And if we're not there yet, if we're not a place where that's not only celebrated, but happens on a regular basis, what can we do as individuals and as a church to become that? So that the world of people asking questions feel welcome. Have those conversations from that church? I have no doubt that people will come through our doors, grow in their faith, and 